You're listening to Crossroads International Church Podcast. Welcome. We hope this podcast will bless you from wherever you're listening to it. For more information, go to our website at xrds.nl. Now, let's get into the podcast. Well, good morning and welcome, Crossroads, and welcome uh, everyone online. Uh, Welcome all of you who are returning back. Uh, from the summer. Uh, I know Rhonda and I just got back this week ourselves. Um, And my name is Steve Ashworth, and I'm part of the teaching team here in Crossroads. We are continuing this this week, this Sunday, uh, for our final Sunday in our series uh, for the Missions Month, Conversion Stories from the Book of Acts. How God reached out to people through the power of the Holy Spirit, to change their lives. People uh, that are very familiar to us from the, the, the book of Acts, Paul and Philip and Peter, but also how God is continuing to reach out and change people's lives today through various ones that Crossroads supports, through the generosity of this church. Last week, Sean said, missions is the calling on our lives. Empowered by the Holy Spirit to make disciples of all nations. To go out and share the good news of Jesus to those around us and to the ends of the earth. And that's what we've been hearing through these testimonies. We've been able to hear from Manya Ferbom with Neighbors to Nations in Iraqi Kurdistan. Marain in Norchakaut with MAF in Angola, Kim from Balin with YWAM Norway, Pastor Vadim Proshak in Ukraine, and last week Doreen and Kasper Asampa with Kama Zending in northern Ghana. Thank you again for your generous support to Pastor Vadim in Ukraine. And today we have the opportunity to hear from one of our own, Eliana Schultz, who is working at the newest Stadt in the Belmer in Amsterdam, Zout-Ost. So Eliana, come on up. Let's give her a, a hand as she comes. Welcome. Rhonda and I just had the opportunity this week to be out there with her. And Eliana, I know your project is going to be one of the local focus projects for Crossroads. Um, and many of us may uh, know you from, uh, from your being part of the worship team or other ministries. Uh, but we're super excited to hear from you today. Tell us a little bit about your family and, yeah, just how you got started with this project that you're currently involved in. Thank you, Steve. Good morning, everybody. Uh, my name is Eliana. I'm uh, married to Timon, who is here, and we have uh, three kids who are all in the kids' program now. And uh, as Steve said, I work for the Nieuwestad, which is a church in uh, in uh, Amsterdam, Belmer. And a few years ago... Um, when I was there, we, ha- we used to have like a soup kitchen. Every Monday night, people could come and eat from the neighborhood. Uh, and as I was taking my soup and sitting down next to somebody I didn't know, um, God told me when I looked at this guy, this is your brother. Um, and I looked at him. I had never met him before, but he looked like he was a bit younger than me, so he could be my little brother. But I also realized he didn't look much like my brother because he was black. Um, <laughs> So I started talking to him, and I found out his name is Henry. Uh, He's from Gambia, West Africa. I also found out he was sleeping on the street. He didn't have a home. He didn't have a job, nothing in this country. 
So that night I left a bit confused, thinking I've never had a brother before that's sleeping on the street. I don't really know what to do about this. Um, to make a long story short, he came to live with us. Uh, and as he started to get to know our family, he also started introducing me to other people that were sleeping in the park. And um, around that time, the um, COVID pandemic came. Uh, everybody was told to stay home. But then when you're living in the park, there's no home. Uh, so those guys were just there every day and night, and they were having such a hopeless uh, situation that I started praying for them a lot and asking God, is there any hope for them? And I remember as I was asking God, like, is there any hope for these guys? Um, because I realized that they had no right to stay in this country because of their documents, but also they could not go somewhere else. They had no right to shelter in this country. So I was just, yeah, I was just, I didn't see it. I asked God, is there any hope? And then as I opened my eyes, I saw that the sky was like one big rainbow. It was like a, a sunset. So all the colors of the rainbow were there. And I felt that God was saying like, yes, there's hope for them. And then I said to God, but, but how? How is there hope for them? And he answered me and said, because I am on their side. And when I understood that answer from God, then I felt like then I also want to be on that same side because I want to be where God is. So I started spending a lot of time with them in the park. This was during the COVID lockdown. And we started a project together, uh, a meals project to make uh, food um, for people that were in need of food support. So we had cooks cooking in their houses and then the guys from the, the park would pick up the food from those houses and bring it to those in need, the uh, old people and sick people and lowly people. And there were so many people in need of food support that the project kept growing and growing. And then at some point, one of the guys from the park said, I'm actually a cook, only I don't have a kitchen here in the park. But if you can find me a kitchen, I would love to cook also for the project. Uh, and then I realized I have the key from a church that is empty, the Neustadt. So I told him, you can start cooking there. Well, when he started cooking there, then everybody started coming to the church, all the homeless people, undocumented people, lonely people, and that's the start of the project. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah. I, I, rem I remember Henry actually got an award from the Rabobank yes. uh, as an undocumented person here in the Netherlands for his work distributing food to those who didn't have it during COVID. So it's been amazing. So Eliana, tell us about what does that look like now, week to week, day to day, what, tell us a little bit what that looks like for you. Yes, well, thank God the COVID pandemic is in the past now, but we are still there. So we're still in the church every day and cooking food for people, African meals, and people still come every day. People who need food, uh, people who need shelter, and people who need all sorts of help, they come and then we try to help them in every way. And I've been really surprised with how many people also came to help, people from the neighborhood, missionaries, people from this church, so that now we also have different activities like Dutch class and computer lessons, Bible studies. We also have game nights and barbecues. So you're all invited to also come and join. <laughs> Great. And uh, well, so much has been happening, but could you tell us something that you've seen God do in their lives, these people that you're reaching out to? Yes. When I um, look back at how it started, now I think, what was I even doing to make these guys work for me? And it took actually a couple of months before God reminded me that he was expecting me to help them. So then when I put my mind to it, I started asking around, like, is there anybody who can take somebody into their house? And I was already giving that example myself. 
And then I found so many people who were willing to provide hospitality. You were one of them. Uh, so within a few weeks, there was nobody sleeping in the park anymore. Nobody. And that made me realize, as a church, we have everything that is needed to help those people, to make sure that nobody's hungry, that nobody's sleeping in the park. So this was, for me, like a very powerful sign of who we are as a, as a church. And I want to um, uh, tell you one other story of... Uh, uh, a young uh, Muslim guy, 24 years old, who came to us uh, some time ago, um, and he asked us um, to pray for him because he was in such pain, day and night, that he couldn't sleep, and he was uh, feeling very desperate because of that pain, and that's why he asked us to pray. Um, and the problem that he had is that uh, about three years ago, he had been in an accident where he lost most of his front teeth, or his tooth were broken, but he had no money and no medical insurance to uh, do anything about it. So he was just walking around with his broken teeth and missing teeth and it had all started rotting. So he said like no employer will hire him. He was ashamed to sit with his friends. He couldn't call his mother anymore because she always wanted to do video calls and just day and night he was in pain. And we prayed to him. It was Rhonda who <laughs> prayed for him. Uh, and after praying for him I also started calling around to see if I could find any dentist that would help him for free. Uh, and I found a dentist right here in Amstelveen. Uh, we took him there several times. It was a lot of work and a lot of money that we didn't need to pay. Uh, and now, when you see him now, he's just smiling. He has brand new teeth. He looks like any other guy. And his future is open again. Mm. And I just want to give this as an example because maybe there's dentists here or doctors or lawyers or bookkeepers. And I just want to say that I hope that when God calls you to the work, you say yes, because we can really change people's lives. Wow. Amen. That's awesome. Yeah, I got to see his face, and he is smiling, just this, like this great smile on his face. Well, how can we pray for you? What are some challenges that you're facing that we can pray for? Maybe breakthroughs in people's lives that we can pray for. Yes, thank you for praying for me. Um, I want to start by mentioning my brother, Henry, again, who I met when he was sleeping in the park. Uh, over the past few years, his um, passion for God has really grown, and he's devoted his life to God, and we've been able to send him out as a missionary to Sicily, where's, where he's working now among the refugees that cross over from Africa to Europe. So we can pray for him. Yes. I also give thanks for his life and the transformation in his life. And for myself and my family and the project, I would like you to pray for, for our safety and protection uh, from God because I also realize we're taking a lot of risk and there's difficult situations that we face. Okay. Well, let's do that. Let's join as a church and pray for Eliana and this ministry right here in our own back door uh, in the Belmer and, uh, and for what God wants to do through their lives. Father, thank you. Father, thank you for Eliana. Thank you for giving her an ear to hear your voice when you said, I am on their side, and to obey and say, I want to be on your side. Well, thank you for the, the steps of obedience that she's taken of, of welcoming Henry as a brother into her home, and how that's been an example for so many. Lord, for Henry, we, we bless him, Lord, and, and all that you're wanting to do through him, Lord, there in Sicily, as so many others are coming, those who make it across the Mediterranean. Lord, and he's there to share good news. Thank you for what you've done through his life. Father, thank you as well that you are a God who provides and protects. 
And Lord, we pray for your protection for Eliana, for her family, for this ministry, for all that are reaching out, Lord, for also for those who, who are coming there, Lord. They also need your protection and your provision. And so we ask God, would you have mercy on them? And for us as a church, Lord, we pray, Lord, would you, would you raise us up, Lord, to respond uh, as God, you would lead us also to hear your voice and obey you in small or big things, trusting you for much fruit to come in Jesus' beautiful and mighty name. Amen. Thank you. If you are interested, uh, we just heard this morning that Hanania has put on the, the app uh, under groups an opportunity to respond. Uh, so if you're interested to respond already, uh, there's opportunities that are already listed there. Eliana, thank you for sharing with us your testimony. It's so inspiring. Uh, I know we love being there uh, ourselves whenever we can be. And uh, yeah, let's just say, let's give a thanks to the Lord for what God's doing through your life in this ministry. Amen. Yeah, so inspiring. All of these stories have been just amazing. And um, yeah, we're, we're going to continue this Sunday uh, in this series on conversion stories from the book of Acts, this week focusing on Paul and Corinth. And our theme verse from this series is from Acts 1.8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now, here's an overview of how that worked out in the book of Acts. The early chapters, you can see, covered Jerusalem, and then Judea and Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth, as they understood it then. Last week, Sean did a great job summarizing our series from Paul's conversion on the road to Damascus, to Stephon sharing about the jailer in Philippi, to Anton sharing Philip's encounters with Simon the sorcerer and the Ethiopian eunuch. And then Paul, uh, Sean shared on good news coming to the Gentiles. Peter going to Cornelius, a Roman centurion in Caesarea, and seeing him and his whole household believe, receive the Holy Spirit and be baptized. If you're away, I encourage you to watch those. Here's another map I want to show where the gospel did go just in the 30-year time frame that the book of Acts covers. From this slide, you can see every city or region in black on this map is one that is recorded in the book of Acts. In these place, places, the gospel was shared. People started to follow Jesus, and churches were started. And just like each of you, there's a story to be told about how they encountered Jesus, how they embraced one another, and how they started engaging the world. And because they did, we each have a story to tell centuries later. Because of their faithfulness, that's been passed on to us. The God of these stories of conversions in the book of Acts still wants everyone to be able to encounter Jesus, to embrace one another and engage the world. So today, 
we're going to look at Paul in Corinth. But before we do, let's pray. Lord, you know each of our stories who are here. Those who are here, those who are online, I ask that you would make your connection for each of us today. Anoint the words that we share today to connect the story of our lives so they can connect with the lives of others you bring us in contact with. Lord, I pray this in your beautiful and mighty name, in the name of Jesus, amen, amen. So the story of Paul in Corinth picks up in Acts 18. Let's read that very beginning passage, Acts 18, 1 to 2. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. And there he met a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla because Cornelius had ordered all the Jews to leave Rome. To catch up on what after this means, Paul is on his second missionary journey, which we've heard of already about from Stephan when Paul was in Philippi. From Philippi, Paul was escorted out of jail with Silas, and then he, Silas, and Timothy went to Thessalonica to share the gospel with great success. And out of jealousy, the Jews started a riot searching for Paul and Silas. And so in cover of darkness, they left for Berea, another town close by with also a synagogue. And again, after much success in sharing the gospel in Berea, with threats of another riot brewing, Paul was escorted to Athens by boat. And Paul preached there at the Areopagus on Mars Hill, close to the Acropolis. And some people came to faith in Athens. And then Paul moved on to Corinth. That's a short ver version of to catch us up on what does after this mean. And so there's another map uh, to zoom in on where Paul's going from Athens to Corinth. It's about 80 kilometers from each other. Nowadays, Athens is the major metropolis and capital city, of course, of Greece. And Corinth is kind of a small town, certainly by comparison. But when Paul came to Corinth in AD 50, it was just the opposite. Athens was a small city. And Corinth was about 100 to 200,000 people already in that time. Corinth was the capital of the region of Achaia, which covers the southern half of what is now modern Greece. Julius Caesar had rebuilt Corinth and set it up as a Roman colony. It was a trade city located between two major ports that cut down travel time between Rome and its eastern empire. Athens was still the intellectual capital of Greece, but Corinth was the trade capital, the governmental capital, a sports capital, a religious capital with multiple shrines and temples, and it was also a capital of prostitution and sex. I thought this, in many ways, seems very similar to a capital city that we live very close to, or maybe in, Amsterdam. But it was to this city that Paul came, Corinth, a multicultural, multi-religious metropolis. And like other cities that Paul stopped at, 
it had a Jewish community. So in verse 2, we read that Paul met a Jew named Aquila from Pontus. Pontus is now northeastern Turkey. Aquila was married um, to Priscilla, and he and his wife had fled Italy the year before in AD 49, when Claudius forced out all the Jews out of Rome. So they were like refugees in Corinth. And I love how Luke, the author of Acts, includes Priscilla in this story. How many refugee women in the world are forgotten and nameless? And here's one who becomes a part of the story for all of history. The text does not directly indicate whether Aquila and Priscilla were Christians already, but we know from Acts 2 that there were Jews from Rome at Pentecost who would have returned to their city, baptized in water and in the Holy Spirit. What the text does say is that Paul went to see them. And because he was a tent maker as they were, he stayed and worked with them. This is the only mention in the Bible of the word tent maker. But it was common for rabbis to be trained in a trade or profession. And so we see here that Paul had been trained in making tents. Several commentaries suggest it was possibly cloth woven from goat's hair which was common in the area he grew up in, Cilicia, in Tarsus. But from other passages in Corinth, in Corinthians and Thessalonians, we know that Paul worked hard at it. He was in the marketplace. And every Sabbath, he reasoned in the synagogue, trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. A few years ago, our family had the opportunity to go to Corinth. And although this isn't our picture, let's see if it comes up. Um, it, I seem to remember, that's definitely not our picture. Uh, I seem to remember we took one a lot like it. Let's see if it comes up. Um, we'll see. In any case, that's not the most important. What struck me most about this uh, picture here, uh, this is the Lechion Way is that this is one of the best preserved roads in Corinth. And it's the main way from the port of Lechion on the Corinthian Gulf to the Agora, the main forum in the center of the city of Corinth. And this would have been the road that Aquila and Priscilla would have come into the city with. And no doubt the one that Paul walked on himself many times. It would have been full of shops on both sides as it led to the main square, to the Agora, there were multiple other markets throughout the city, and in a shop like that, Paul would have joined Aquila and Priscilla, sharing faith during the day, and on the Sabbath, reasoning and sharing at the synagogue, which may have just been off this road. What also struck me in verse 4 was that Paul was trying to persuade both Jews and Greeks in the synagogue. There were God-fearing Greeks attending the synagogue, as well as Jews. And Paul wanted to reach them both with the gospel, just as he had done before in other synagogues. His heart was for all. In 1 Corinthians 9, 19 to 22, Paul writes that though he was free, he made himself a slave to everyone, to win as many as possible, to the Jews, 
to those under the law, to those not having the law, to the weak. He said, I have become all things to all people so that by all possible means I might save some. He lived out incarnationally what it meant to follow Jesus. So when Silas and Timothy came from Macedonia, Paul devoted himself exclusively to preaching, testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Messiah. That's what we sang this morning, Jesus Messiah. Finally, his co-workers, Silas and Timothy, arrived. Silas was one of the leaders from the church in Jerusalem. Timothy was a young convert from Turkey. His father was Greek, and his mother was Jewish. There were no text messagings with a location drop, but they found a way to find him anyway there in Corinth. And their coming to Corinth led to a shift in Paul's ministry. From the other texts in Corinthians, Thessalonians, and Philippians, we understand that Silas and Timothy brought with them financial support, which allowed him to devote himself exclusively to preaching and testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Messiah that they had been waiting for. And we could see that Paul was adaptable as a missionary working in a productive trade that led to a lifelong relationships with his co-workers, Priscilla and Aquila, but also to shift gears when the opportunity came. And with the funding he received from the churches in Macedonia, he could take his ministry to another level of effectiveness and more fully explain to the Jews that Jesus was their Messiah, their promised one, the one they'd been waiting for. And perhaps you wonder, I know I do sometimes when I read these stories, what did Paul share with them? Well, Paul recalls what he shared in the letters to the Corinthians. In 1 Corinthians 15, he said, Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Peter, and then to the 12, and after that he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also. Some of these verses from 1 Corinthians 15 were later used, as you may recall, or might remind you of the Nicene Creed or the Apostles' Creed. But for Paul, it was the basis of his whole life. It was his lived reality and the basis for his being saved. As Sean was saying last week, Paul, like Peter, was making his story personal. And obviously from this passage in Corinthians, there were those who believed. But as we'll see, 
not all believed. Verse 6 says, but when they opposed Paul and became abusive, he shook out his clothes in protest and said to them, your blood be on your heads. I am innocent of it. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. Paul had shared everything he could with them, and they refused. And sometimes that happens. It definitely had become a heated discussion, as we'd seen in other cities, and Paul could do no more. So in effect, he was saying, you're responsible for your own choices. I've shared everything I can. I'm moving on to others here in this city. And so he did. Here's a slide of the city of Corinth, the the ruins of ancient Corinth from the Agora, the main square of the city where the judgment seat was, where you can see the temple of Apollo in the background. Paul was going to the Gentiles. And then in verse 7, it says, Paul left the synagogue and went next door to the house of Titius Justus, a worshiper of God. The first Gentile that Paul went to in the city was the one right next to the synagogue. He was a God-fearer. And we, like we heard from Cornelius last week with Peter, Paul was welcomed into a household of a Gentile. For a Jew, that was a big step. A Gentile whose heart was already to worship God. God had already prepared him. Even while Paul was preaching to the Jews, he had made Titius Justice, who's also called Gaius in 1 Corinthians and Romans, he had made him open for the gospel. So when Paul left the synagogue, an amazing turn of events took place. Luke Luke records this in the next verse, verse 8. Crispus, the synagogue leader, and his entire household believed in the Lord. And many of the Corinthians who heard Paul believed and were baptized. Paul's message to the Jews landed with the leader of the synagogue, Crispus, the leader of of the very place that had abused him. He turned his heart. Him and his whole household. And likewise for many Corinthians, so both Jews and Gentiles were coming to faith and being baptized. We read in the very first chapter of Corinthians that Paul baptized both Crispus and Gaius and the household of Stephanus. And everyone else who had been baptized was done by others. So he baptized the very first ones to start it off and show them how to do that so others could carry on baptizing new believers. One of the reasons that I especially like to preach in this series on missions is that my wife and I are also missionaries with YWAM here in Amsterdam. And a number of years ago, a young Kurdish man who wanted to be baptized asked if I would baptize him. As much as I wanted to do that, I told him, I'd rather that a Kurdish believer baptize you so that you know you can baptize others as well. I was there when he was baptized, but it was the Kurdish believer who baptized him. But we know sometimes that's not possible among unreached peoples who are coming to the Lord for the first time. Recently, a colleague of ours 
asked a refugee from a very difficult country here in this city. He asked him if he wanted to be baptized. He was so open, and he said he did. And so the two of us baptized this young man, and now he's doing Bible studies with people from his own country here in Amsterdam. Paul was setting that example. He showed them how, and then he let them do the rest. In fact, Paul went on to say in 1 Corinthians 1, 17, that Christ didn't send him to baptize, but to preach the gospel. He goes on in verse 22 and following to say, Jews demand a sign, and Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block for Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God, for the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. In fact, Paul described his weakness in 1 Corinthians 2. He said, when I came to you, I didn't come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness with great fear and trembling. Which brings us to the last part of our story. One night, the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision. Do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent. For I am with you. And no one is going to attack you and harm you because I have many people in this city. So Paul stayed in Corinth for a year and a half teaching them the word of God. Paul's gospel was Christ crucified the power of God to triumph over sin, to triumph over our pride and self-reliance, to triumph over death and over the powers of this world. There's also the wisdom of God that is upside down to the wisdom of the world to submit to suffering and obedience, to identify with the weak, with the other, with the one who's not like me, that we might be reconciled together to become mature sons and daughters of God. But let's go back to that last slide of verse 9 and 10, where it says, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent. Paul knew what it meant to be attacked, to be beaten, to be thrown in prison with the powers of a city when the, when the powers of a city were being threatened. His message was a threat to those powers. But it was an overwhelming task. Here it was, a capital city of hundreds of thousands who do not know the Lord. Does that sound familiar? He was one man with a message of good news about Jesus, the crucified Messiah. In the midst of the greed the corruption, the sensuality, the slavery, the idolatry, and all the power and money that was behind them in that city, he was there with great fear and trembling. 
And the Lord said, do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent. I am with you. And no one is going to attack or harm you because I have many people in this city. I believe this is God's word to some of us right now. God's wanting to say, I am with you. He's saying to you, do not be afraid. Keep speaking. Do not be silent. I am with you. I have your back. I am your shield because I have many people in your city. Amen. Thank you for listening, and we hope that you have a wonderful week. See you next time.